from Moby.co, this is the Flagship Pod, a weekly podcast about the stock market, the economy, and the various market forces powering the world around you. As always, I'm your host, Peter Starr, bringing you this time, I don't know, folks, hopefully we're hitting capitulation sometime soon. We're dealing with a lot of fallout from the FTX drama. We're dealing with fallout from last week's midterm elections as well, as we begin to understand the political landscape in America and how the market's going to react to that. It's honestly a very wild time here in the markets. I've been saying that for literally a year straight now. Um, We started this podcast at the very top of the bull run and we've just been kind of riding this very interesting bear period all the way down as we begin to understand how this recessionary period is going to take shape to help me unpack that and understand exactly what's happening week over week with that as always i am joined by justin kramer ceo co-founder and chief analyst here at moby.co justin man what's good how you feeling about the market this week dude yeah it's uh it's an interesting week as we start to digest uh better inflation adjusted news better interest rate potential news coming um, the outlook for the first time is starting to look a little bit better from that perspective, which has driven basically the entire direction of the stock market this year. Um, but at the same time, we're looking potentially at next quarter, if not the quarter thereafter, a serious pullback in earnings. Um, so it'll be an interesting outlook seeing potentially the Fed be more accommodative, but the economy start to take a toll. Um, so we're in a very, very interesting potential inflection point. Exactly. Yeah. And it's one of those things, too, where we keep looking at just all the different factors here, trying to understand exactly what the single narrative is, because there really isn't one still. And there's a bunch of technology stocks that are getting absolutely hammered by rising costs. But then one of our te- technology standouts today, pa- Palo Alto Networks, reported earnings and is now up 10, 15 percent just on the back of people being worried about cybersecurity. So finding a single narrative here is really difficult. And so instead of trying to like predict what's going to happen there, let's kind of piece through each individual part of that. So last week we just started talking about this, Justin, but we really didn't get the full picture until pretty much after the podcast happened. So now we were too early to the game before, now we're way too late to the game, but let's make sure we give our take on everything going on with FTX right now. So Justin, crypto is still hurting bad on the back of all the FTX drama. FTX has filed for bankruptcy. The person who oversaw the Enron crisis is the CEO of um, uh, FTX now, just going through what was what he said was the worst corporate structure he's ever seen ever. And this is the dude who, you know, had to piece through the rubble of Enron. Um, how are you feeling about FTX and crypto at large right now as we kind of reel from the damage and fallout from, you know, this $9 billion implosion, dude? No, it's a really good point. I mean, the fact that the former CEO or, or the person who was involved in the whole Enron scandal saying this is worse it is pretty significant. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar, at a super, super high level, Enron was one of the biggest kind of like scandals or accounting scandals we've seen basically ever. It happened about, um, I think in the early 2000s, late 1990s. Uh, and at a high level, there was just basically massive investor fraud with the with a public company, it ended up leading to a, a huge unwind. But and that was, you know, case study world famous. And the fact that this guy is coming in and saying the FTX stuff is worse, I mean, just goes to show you how egregious uh, this whole FTX debacle was. Um, and it goes to show you that you shouldn't necessarily always be following the smart money because, you know, maybe not public investors, but VCs, private investors were pouring, pouring billions into FTX. And it ended up being a massive fraud that it sounds like based on what we're getting now information wise, if they even did an ounce of due diligence, would have seen all of this. So it's really terrible. It ultimately ends up putting a ton of distrust in the system, scares investors, 
and just makes things, frankly, more volatile. So it's a, it's a pretty bad situation. On the outlook of crypto, I mean, it is an isolated incident. Um, the fallout and contagion effect is definitely not being contained. It, you know, BlockFi looks like it's going under now. I wouldn't be surprised for crypto.com to have started having issues. Uh, obviously, the, the hedge fund Alameda Research is, is going insolvent. So there is going to be continued fallout. And I think for the just the ecosystem of crypto in general, this really now calls into question the, like the notion of like stable coins, more or less, or, or coins needed to operate. It, we saw it now with FTT, which was crypto uh, FTX's native coin. A single tweet basically knocked them out of business. The Binance, which is the world's largest exchange, said that it was going to ultimately liquidate a lot of their FTX's FTT token. Um, so a lot of people started selling FTT token and started like basically causing a run on their native uh, stablecoin, which ultimately, or not stablecoin, but just their native coin. And that ultimately kind of sent then FTX into this liquidity crisis and ultimately caused it to collapse in kind of like 24 to 48 hours. So the reason it's significant is now for other, whether it be exchanges or just anything that runs on a coin-based system, which is most of crypto, um, it calls into question now the validity or the the volatility uh, of these systems. At any point, if enough people are selling it, it can crash a system. And obviously, that is not beneficial uh, for long-term stability. So I, it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. I'm sure you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum will rally and ultimately be fine. But just like we saw in 2017, a ton of these projects, I, I mean, I would go as far to say as 95 to 99% of these projects are just going to go to zero. I mean, everyone knew they were speculation and people didn't care. And now they're really being flushed out of the market. It's just part of the, the normal cycle, unfortunately. And that's kind of been our whole philosophy on crypto, though, is, you know, the way we talk about it, we talk about it being an extremely small part of your portfolio. And when you invest in crypto, you invest as a venture capitalist, not as somebody who um, is look, looking at the same way you would a stock investor. Like you have to understand that a lot of the projects you invest in have the potential to go to zero. The whole industry, I'm not so certain, can go to zero with all the in, student, in, with all the institutional money that's currently in Bitcoin and other large projects. Um, there's a lot of interesting stuff having with Ethereum right now as they kind of stabilize. But the main thing I'm thinking about is one thing the market isn't really reacting to and that's the fact that a bunch of central banks have begun the trial for cbdc's central bank digital currencies and having that kind of competition have having all of that kind of um international speculatory interest going towards those kinds of coins that's the thing that i worry about in terms of sucking the oxygen out of the room like what do you think about you know government stepping in and making their own cryptocurrencies justin is that kind of like a head fake and people are over worrying about it as they kind of leave even like Bitcoin, or is that something we should actually be watching as, you know, the actual large financial institutions seeing all of the money that's been thrown into these industries and try to get a slice of that pie, so to speak? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good question. Um, I think, you know, countries will continue to ultimately try and develop uh, like their own more or less like sovereign cryptocurrencies, uh, whether they end up being validated, ends up being long-term adoption. I think it's really tough to say at this point. Um, but I think for now, if like you're, you know, trying to invest in certain projects based on what certain countries are doing, I would definitely steer clear. There's going to be a ton of risk. And honestly, I don't think anyone knows ultimately what, what will win or what will prove to be successful. So just know that if you are trying to track what a country is doing or trying to get in terms of like the, the currency or or coin that's backing like a certain crypto of a new country, 
um, know that you're you're more or less just gambling, which is if that's a risk you want to take, that's fine. Um, but there a lot it's just the entire crypto industry for the last decade has more or less just unfortunately been driven off speculation. And so that when you're looking at all of these kind of avenues, obviously, if you're, you know, a crypto investor, you know what you're doing right now. You're holding, you're doing spot buy and holds, you're kind of waiting this out, your dollar cost averaging into the space, hoping to accumulate, you know, a foundation through which to ride the next bull run, because the worst time to buy is during those periods where the market is actually ripping, but making sure you understand that bull runs always outlast these bear periods and these bear sentiment periods. But one thing to really keep in mind, audience, is that a fraud as big as this one, like if you look at the actual chart, nothing was as bad as the Luna collapse. This is about a half as bad for the industry as that was, but it's getting to the point where is this capitulation or is this going to make the sort of like long tail bear sentiment last, you know, not months, but years. And that's the main question we're asking ourselves as we kind of watch the charts and do the technical analysis and see what the whales are doing in terms of buying into trying to like do the price controls they usually do. And the jury is still really out there. I think people saying this sets the crypto industry back five years. That's way too bearish of a sentiment but it's really uh, the people who are like more permeables who say this is just a temporary setback don't worry as soon as like the macro environment improves bitcoin's going to rip again i think we're going to see a prolonged period of a lack of trust especially combined that with all the institutional money that's here that's going to sort of buffet any price action we see moving forward so keep that in mind things are both faster and slower than folks are saying we're still getting a bunch of mixed signals from the industry itself so it's about it's about instead audience finding these more long-term narratives and trying to understand where the broader market is going so we can have you know a little bit more confidence as investors and justin the main question a lot of our audience has been having this week is on monday uh chinese premier xi jinping and joe biden had their big meeting as a part of the g20 conference and it kind of feels like the market's buying u.s chinese friendship like um T uh, taiwan semiconductor is up 11 percent on the week alibaba even though they had mediocre earnings is uh today is up on the week no that was yesterday actually um 10 cents up 10 cent music is up gigantic even jd the kind of like awkward little brother of Chinese e-commerce is doing pretty okay. Um, are we are we back in buying China, Justin? Is it game time or is this kind of like a temporary, the market's looking for any good news and just jumping on it a little bit too hard? The Chinese stuff is, um, it's interesting. You're, you're seeing that as soon as like foreign relations with China does better, does worse, investors act accordingly because they're nervous that Chinese stocks get delisted or there'll be further escalations and ultimately they won't be able to do business here. So the underlying businesses, if you strip away that like risk on top, which is obviously very warranted, these companies are significantly undervalued. So like let's assume, let's do like a an exercise for a second that ultimately tomorrow, for example, you know, all this regulatory oversight, all these fears with China goes away. These companies would go to could could go off two, three X easily because they're so, so undervalued if you're looking at pure fundamentals. So if you if you have a good insight on that risk or you're comfortable taking that risk with China, know you're, you are buying undervalued businesses. The problem right now is, to your point, is the geopolitical relationships with these countries. Are they going to be delisted? How, what is their, their outlook going to be like? You know, Over the next few months, it's, it's truly tough to say. Over the longer run, here at Moby, we're, we're pretty confident that a lot of these companies will continue to stay on exchanges and be invested. So we have added to our positions, knowing like kind of when we look at the risk versus return, it's pretty high. But if you're listening to this podcast or you know you're you're thinking about getting involved, there is again similar to a lot of things that's going on right now, a ton of risk. So just you need to be aware if you're looking at like me or Alibaba or all these companies, you're like, why are they down so much? Like why are they lost so much in value? It's just 
they they run the risk of really really heavy regulatory oversight which could ultimately kind of lead to their not their demise as a company but just their demise as for investors in the u.s and I think it's really important to keep in mind too, just like uh, on sort of like a long time scale, you know, the, the our geopolitical system craves peace because you know a conflict between the United States and China would just be catastrophic, basically for um, the whole world. And so when we look at this, we're trying to find those moments where we have a little bit more confidence in that relationship. And you know, the political uh, situation in America is shifting a little bit, and as we kind of discussed last week, that kind of favors a more positive U.S. a, a less chaotic view on U.S.-Chinese relations. But that could get more chaotic, Justin, as we sort of like finally have a sort of completely um, clarified political situation where we know, okay, uh, the Democrats have taken the Senate and the House have managed to take control of the House of Representatives barely. It's to the point that Nancy Pelosi is stepping down as the leader of the Democratic Party in the House of Representatives to, you know, let a replacement come in. Um, kind of looking at this, though, Justin, so we're going to have divided Congress um, and we're also going to have Trump running for office again. So the uh, question is, is chaos back you know, like on the palette in terms of what we're doing here in America, or how's the political situation going to affect the market moving forward? Are we going to have two years of just like nothing happening, like unregulated business basically because we have a divided Congress? Or do you think that these slim margins in the House of Representatives can like make certain things happen? Yeah, I mean, with with the Republicans taking more uh, of a center stage, it's it's definitely good for markets historically. They've proven that they like like kind of this balance of with uh with power between the both parties um it'll be interesting to see what regulation ultimately gets put into place our get our best guess right now from what we've seen is that it'll just be more of like a stalemate so rather than there be like like pullbacks on you know good policy on green energy or other things that have favored the democratic party we're likely look just looking at like a stalemate going forward so I would say if you're, you know, investing in a pro-democrat agenda, it's going to take a little bit of a of a hit. If you're investing in more like pro-republican agenda, like your long oil, your your long stocks that you know do well under a Republican regime, it's probably beneficial. Although not like a ton of new, you know, bills or regulatory oversight would be pushed into it. So I mean, you look at, you know, it's it's relatively new news. But if you look at, you know, the the price of energy over the last month, like looking at a comparable ETF, it's up 10% over the last month. Um, you look at, you know, some of the favorite stocks that we've liked in the energy sector, they've done really well. Um, and then you look at, um, you know, other stocks um, that uh, that play in the sector in other sectors that are, are, are potentially getting impacted. But I mean, I think long story short, the biggest takes, takeaways that we need to be aware of um, are just what is on the agenda for Democrats, what's on the agenda for Republicans going into the midterm elections. A lot of the voting um, or a lot of their policy is going to be set by voters. Um, they want to appeal to voters going into the next presidential cycle with Trump, especially now announcing his run for office. It, it definitely puts a little bit of a uh, of a wrinkle in what's uh, what's coming. And I think it's a really good way of looking at it, too. It's just like one of those things where you're going to see just kind of like a very mixed bag of signals moving forward, right? And so finding clarity is going to depend on sector by sector. And so, Justin, quick curveball here, because one sector that makes literally zero sense based on earnings season this week has been retail. We saw this week Target completely just get smashed by... Having too much rev having too much inventory and not enough revenue and reducing guidance massively. We saw the likes of Walmart completely just pop off. Ross had earnings last night exploding. 
Farfetch, also earnings last night, completely falling apart. Footlocker, earnings this morning, popping off. I cannot find a pattern here, dude. Um, if you're looking for wins and losses in the retail sector, we're entering into the big period. You know, this is Q4. This is where all retail makes all of its money, basically. You look at all of that, like, is there any kind of pattern you see in terms of, like, who's going to win uh, the battle of, like, the, the bottom of the barrel of the U.S. economy right now? Is it just, like, your Walmarts who are going to have the lowest possible prices are going to win? Or is there any other pattern you can kind of see in retail that kind of suggests who's going to win and lose throughout this next literal bloodbath of a quarter? There's a really interesting dynamic happening right now where we have potentially, you know, this massive economic pullback paired with the fact that consumer debt is actually at all-time highs. If you look at reports that Visa, Bank of America, and other companies like that have put out, consumers are actually still spending a ton. The outstanding debt of the average U.S. consumer in America is higher than it's ever been and grown faster than it's ever grown. So people are still spending money. If you look at the outlook that like Nike and Walmart and Target have put out, they definitely have curbed back expectations. Having said that, what we've seen so far from spending is that people are still really happy to spend. I think ultimately the biggest beneficiary is going into the end of the year. Retail, to your point, normally puts a ton of weight into the end of the year. They're they're going to take a, a bit of a hit. But I actually think travel is going to do really well. Uh, airlines have put out tremendous outlooks. They think like travel is going to continue. People are going to spend money on that, even though working at this recessionary period, hotels are projecting to do well. Um, people were stuck at home for a few years and there's still a spillover effect that, you know, if they're going to curb back spending, they don't want to curb it back on travel and think they weren't able to do. So I think ultimately, yes, there's going to be a hidden retail. You're going to see companies like Target, like Walmart, probably like Amazon, not have the revenue bumps that they're hoping to have. But other retail sectors like travel, like healthcare, things that we've been talking about, honestly, for the last 12 months. Uh, are are showing that they're going to actually have really good fourth quarters. And that's just insane to me, just thinking about just, um, like, the amount of spending that's still in this economy as, you know, you're watching the amount of layoffs that are happening. Like, it's very much just a, a white of the white collar recession, right? It's just a tech recession right now. And so watching all these layoffs, you think the broader economy is not going to do so hot. But it's one, it's one of these, like, deeply white collar areas where you're seeing a lot of these layoffs. So, you know, I'm excited for two years from now when, like, fit, like, 200 new businesses pop up as a sort of like realignment of all the tech companies that have shed, you know, 15, 35, 75% of their staff of their Twitter, right? Um, that's very exciting for me. But honestly, it's just going to be kind of like an interesting period in consumer spending. I guess the other major signal, Justin, we keep watching too, yes, consumer spending is up. At the same time, we're watching household debt absolutely skyrocket. Meanwhile, housing prices keep coming down too. Housing starts have absolutely, not, have not necessarily cratered, but you know, we're down like for housing starts and for actual construction, we're down 9 and 10.1% respectively year over year. So um, the Fed's obviously doing its job. Like, is the Fed getting a little bit too effective? How, how likely is this soft landing? now that we're watching sort of like the housing market begin to crater a little bit too throughout all of just this uncertainty, dude. Yeah, I think there, I think this is the ninth, the housing data came out today. I think this, I believe this is the the ninth week of the ninth month of, um, of decreased like home buying activity. And yeah, it's directly attributable to interest rates. Higher rates means your mortgage is more expensive. And with mortgages sitting around kind of the 3% level at this time last year, versus they're around seven now, the price of owning a home has like almost doubled. Um, that's because in the first few years of a mortgage, 
about 90% of the payment is interest-related payments instead of principal-related payments. So when you double the mortgage rate, your your mortgage is ultimately going to become almost double the expensive. So, you know, if you're buying a hundred thousand dollar home, a million dollar home, a ten million dollar home, if you had, you know, for argument's sake, a two thousand dollar mortgage, well, that'd be four thousand dollars now. So the affordability of homes has like literally been chopped in half over the last few months alone. So I mean, this is what the Fed wanted, and it it, it does more so than most sectors impact housing tremendously. Having said that, if you're a real estate investor or you're hoping to buy real estate, now is actually a really interesting time. Based on what we're seeing, there's a, a pretty good chance the Fed stops raising rates within the next few months. If that's the case, um, they'll probably, based on estimates so far, subject to change, estimates are that they'll start decreasing rates end of Q1, some point in Q2 of next year. Once they start decreasing rates, then the price of homes will start going up. So if you're an investor now, you want to buy a home now, yes, it's going to definitely be more expensive from a cash flow perspective. Like your 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 payments are going to be more expensive on a monthly basement. However, the two things in your favor are going to be one, home prices have come down. Uh, because mortgages are so high, people can't afford to buy them. The prices of homes have come down, so you can get it at a little bit cheaper of a purchase price. And then as they start to decrease rates again, your home value can significantly like raise faster than it would in a normal environment. So like there's an obvious correlation, lower uh, interest rates equals more expensive homes. So long story short, if you're comfortable buying now, you know, timing's not gonna be perfect, but at some point next year, Q3, the latest from, from what we're seeing so far, your mortgage, your rates are going to go down, which means your home value is going to go up, which means you can refinance and start getting cheaper payments on the way down. So definitely going to be some cash out of pocket for probably the next six months. But it's actually, if anything, if you're if you're trying to time it, isn't crazy timing to get involved now if you have the cash on the sidelines. That's ins that's actually a really insane way of thinking about it. I love that. Not insane in a bad way, but like people are saying, oh, no one's going to buy a house ever again when people, you know, don't understand it's the Fed's job to stop raising rates, too. So I'm really excited to see, you know, that kind of play out. Um, an audience, too, as you keep asking, like, what our major plays we're thinking about, just remember, like, you've got to find things that are bulletproof, right? Like, incredibly, Budweiser, Anheuser-Busch, InBev is up 70% uh, this month, despite the fact that Cotter just banned the sale of alcohol at um at the World Cup this morning, like Budweiser is still up big despite the fact they spent seventy five million dollars just to not sell anything at the actual World Cup. Uh, my microphone just died. Hold on. Oh no, that's terrible. Right there at the end. Sorry, dude. Okay, we're back. Did you lose me or did I was I talking the whole time? You're good. Hello, hilarious. So, audience, as you kind of look at that, just kind of find those things that are bulletproof as well. Obviously, we're more we're higher on other more consumable stocks, but it's just one of those things where you can't think day over day like we talk about these markets on a day by day basis but the market really operates on a quarter by quarter basis a six month by six month basis right so kind of stay the course if you were doing something six months ago and you'll you know potentially be fine and make sure that you're thinking about not just like buying a house right now thinking about interest rates right now but understanding that the game is interest rates will absolutely go down as we kind of round round out to the back back end of this here justin anything else we didn't cover that you want to make sure we jump on here or i mean again we're always kind of bouncing all over the place as we're trying Trying to find these specific narratives because you need to go by na like narrative by narrative in this market yeah no i think that like that covers it i mean the the crypto stuff is insane it's just adding more volatility to the situation 
Um, I think the only other thing is to to look at this week is the G20 summit. Um, that's this week going into next. Basically, is just more or less an economic forum where emerging economies meet together uh, and developed economies to figure out, you know, where they can partner and more or less make the world a better place. So, obviously, the the forefront of foreign politics right now has been on the whole Russia Ukrainian uh, war, what's going on, which is awful. Um, but this is actually the first time that. Uh, President Biden and the leader of China are coming together and are actually going to try and you know focus on their foreign relations outside of Russia. So Russia is obviously a pain point uh, for China and for the U.S. But the biggest point pain point right now is actually over Taiwan. What we want to avoid at all costs is China becoming the next Russia in the sense of invading Taiwan like Russia invaded Ukraine and creating another nightmare scenario on top of what's already a nightmare scenario in Russia and Ukraine. And so we, the, we as the U.S., are trying to actively avoid that, and that's going to be the focus of the conversations between us and China. Whereas on the other hand, China doesn't want us to take this positive stance on Taiwan and wants, to act, and wants us to remain more independent. So it's going to be hard to meet somewhere in the middle, but ultimately the, the best output can be getting away from this stalemate and almost a cold war between us and China, where foreign, like just geopolitical relationships are continuing to worsen. They're looking to reverse that as the two world's largest economies. I mean, that's beneficial for everyone if they can figure that type of stuff out. So it's a, it's a little early to say how that will, that will pan out. But if there's news coming out end of this week or at some point next week, or, you know, even in the months to come, as we start getting more information, you know, that would be, I mean, just amazing if we can start having better relationships with China. I mean, you know, you look at the news, it's just been bad thing after bad thing. So if we can work better with China and, you know, meet somewhere in the middle, that will, that would do just amazing things for the economy and honestly for the world. Exactly. And, you know, audience, if you're thinking about this and thinking, oh, World War Three, Cold War Part Two, I think you, you know, need to understand that, like, the interests of the U.S. and China are way more aligned than the U.S. and the Soviet Union were. And so it's one of those things where, like, peace is possible, right? So um, it, it's cool that, like, we were looking, you know, down the barrel of potentially, like, a lot of conflict at the beginning of this year. And we're seeing, you know, Ukraine make absolutely stunning strides in southern Ukraine, pushing Russia out. Like, there's a massive flanking maneuver south of Kherson right now that's going pretty good, honestly. So uh, we thought this war would be already at stalemate as things kind of shut down for winter. But Ukraine's like, nah, dude, it's our homeland. You know, we're going to fight in the bitterest of bitter cold, just push these, you know, folks out. Um, so it's awesome to see that, you know, that side's winning as well as a more peaceful kind of approach between the U.S. and China. So honestly, like, you know, we're in this the depths of this recession, I don't think we're calling the bottom just yet or anything, because it could potentially extend out. But we're seeing a lot of things that can lead to positive signs as, you know, the Fed tries really hard for a soft landing. Obviously, all eyes are on two weeks from now, three weeks from now, when we have that next Fed meeting and that next CPI report. Where we, we're probably not going to get a Fed. Are we going to get a Fed pivot next month? J Justin, is that possible? Fed pivot in December? Or are we thinking that's more at the beginning of next year? No, I mean, I think... I would be surprised if they didn't do 50 basis points next month, which is big because, the, you know, the months prior, they've been doing 75. Um, I think they'll, they'll go down to 50. I would be very surprised if they go down to 25 or go to zero. That's where the market's pressing in right now. But, I mean, wholesale inflation data came in yesterday. It looks positive with only a 0.2% raise. Um, so, I mean, more data points keep pushing in the right direction. It, it is possible at the next CPI print, It'll give us a, a really good indication. 
uh, of what they're thinking. But I think, you know, what the market's pricing in, best guess for now is is we're thinking, you know, a 50, a 50 basis point raise, which would be amazing because, you know, it's been at the 75 level for, for some time now. Riding the ship, folks. It's really awesome to see that we're like we're beginning to, you know, find those moments of clarity and find those moments where, you know, we're getting into that bottom. Like we're not calling a bottom yet. I'm going to say that you know, the fourth time today, but it's really interesting to see where we can begin to start thinking about where the bottom's going to be. Either way, audience, I really appreciate your time. Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst here at Moby.co. As always, I appreciate you being here answering questions. Any final thoughts from you before I go ahead and read the credits? As always, I'm amazed we covered what we did in what felt like 15 minutes as opposed to actually half an hour. Yeah, no, I think that's pretty comprehensive for anyone who's listening to this. I don't know uh, our percentage of our audience who lives in Buffalo, but with uh, with five feet of snow expected, just uh, stay safe out there. Survive. Yeah, seriously. Either way, audience, really appreciate your time. Um, stay warm out there and just keep staying the course. We will be taking next week off as it, you know, instead of doing a podcast in the middle of Thanksgiving. So we'll see you guys in two weeks as we begin to digest what's happening in, you know, retail game time. Otherwise, audience, I really appreciate your time. But just seeing so you know, this podcast is produced, hosted and voiced by me, Peter Starr. All the intellectual value from this podcast comes from the Moby.co analyst team led by Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder and chief analyst here. If you have any questions for us, you can hit us up at Moby.co. Find us over on Instagram or TikTok if you want to see more of our sort of like advanced thoughts or join us at moby.co slash go if you want to see you know more of our in-depth analysis we had a lot out this week about uber a lot of really interesting points on green tech and plug power and next we're going to have some really interesting points more on these sort of pharmaceutical and retail signs stay tuned for that there either way audience i really appreciate your time thanks for being with us but as always we'd like to leave you with peace love and incremental gains everyone be well thank you so much